This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 84 of Fearless Rebel Radio. I am interviewing fat feminist mother, activist, writer, and artist Amy Pence Brown about ageism and body positivity, how misogyny permeates our beliefs and influences behavior that is harmful towards other women, and so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast at summerinandend.com forward slash 84. That's eight four. Before we begin, I want to let you know that today, Tuesday, March 14th, is the last day to grab the audio version of my best-selling book, Body Image Remix, for free. This was a special gift I wanted to give you in honor of International Women's Day, and today is the last day to take advantage of that. This book takes you through some of the most important concepts you need to know to shift your body image with some cheesy humor and attempts at sassiness. After today, it will be available for $5 via my website. Head over to summerinandin.com forward slash free book to get that. You can also share this link with your friends if you'd like to give them a copy. If you haven't already done so, I would greatly appreciate it if you went to iTunes to leave a review for this podcast. I'm always so grateful to read your reviews like this one from bodylove123. Summer is like your older, wiser sister who understands where you're coming from, listens to you deeply, and then challenges you to shift your frame of mind from mundane old self-hatred to realistic, authentic self-connection. She picks really interesting people from the world of body positivity, acceptance, and has down-to-earth, meaningful, and useful conversations. Thank you so much, Body Love 123. Shoutouts to you. Leaving a review helps others to find the show and the information that you're learning here. You can leave a review by going to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, and then clicking rating and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. You can also go to summerinandin.com forward slash review to do that. Today's guest is Amy Pence Brown. Amy Pence Brown is a fat feminist mother, activist, writer, and artist who became famous in 2015 for a radical stand for self-love in an Idaho farmer's market in a black bikini and a blindfold, a viral video of which has now been watched over 200 million times. She leads the revolution in the Boise Rad Fat Collective on Facebook and writes for several international publications and on her blog at amypencebrown.com. I will just refresh your memory in case you can't recall this video. I am sure you have seen it. I will link to it in the show notes. But Amy is the woman who had the video where she's standing in the farmer's market and she has a sign that says, I'm standing for anyone who has struggled with a self-esteem issue like me because all bodies are valuable to support self-acceptance, draw a heart on my body. This was such a impactful and influential video, and I just wanted to refresh your memory so that you can put a face to the voice that you're hearing today. All right, let's get started with the show. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks, Summer. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you here. I saw your video, the Stand for Self-Love experiment, probably when it went viral two years ago. 
was it two years ago now? It was 2015, wasn't it? Yeah, about a year and a half. A year and a half ago. And I remember thinking, I'm going to have to get this woman on the podcast. So you are finally here and I'm excited to have you here today. Great. Well, before we dive into some of the juicy topics that I want to talk to you about, I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how you got to be the fat feminist mother, activist, writer, and artist who is you today. Well, of course, I tell people this is sort of the story of my life, as it is for most of us. But you know, as growing up and realizing that my body was a political vessel as a young teenager and something that I had very little control over what I did with it and put on it and how it was viewed uh, was largely other people's ideas about it. Mm. And went on to become a feminist as an undergraduate in college and struggled with my weight, of course, my whole life being a uh, chubby child turned curvy teenager, turned fat woman eventually. But my sort of body acceptance, fat positive journey really kicked into high gear about eight years ago, ago when I had had it with consumerist culture and the diet industry and literally knew no one else who felt that way in real life. And so I Googled the phrase or the words, why am I fat and happy? Mm. Because I figured Google might know somebody else or might be able to lead me to other people uh, that were like-minded. And I scrolled through pages and pages of ads um, for the diet industry complex. As Google does, it picked up the words, you know, fat and happy and changed it to unhappy. So there were all these pages of, of these sorts of ads until I finally came upon two blogs that really forever changed my life. One, The Fat Half a Lump by Kath Reed, and the other, The Curvy Fashionista and by Marie Denae. And so they launched me into other blogs and other fat activists and other books. And I read and read and read and educated myself and began to sort of follow these people online and began blogging myself. And about this time, I was a new mother and to one daughter, and that really launched my sort of feminist and body positive journey into high gear. Motherhood and pregnancy did. I had another daughter a few years later and began doing sort of public performance pieces and writing more and making art in which this body positivity was coming out in all of these places on my Facebook wall and in my writing and in my work and had done a number of other things locally and none as famous as this one day as part of a celebration of 40 tiny beautiful things I wanted to do before I turned 40 a year and a half ago. Mm. One of them was this public performance piece in a black bikini and a blindfold and a sign and that was sort of a semi-spontaneous thing. It was based on a, an experiment that the Liberators International out of Australia did. A woman named Jay West was actually in London and, and conducted a similar experiment with a bikini or black bra and undies actually, and a sign and blindfold and markers. And her sign was more about eating disorders. And the Liberators do lots of projects geared around participatory acts of kindness around the, the world. They're the ones that have sort of instigated the free hugs um, okay. with the signs and the blindfolds. They recently did an experiment where you sit in a public square in Europe and stare at a stranger for a few minutes and have that sort of 
personal connection. They do amazing work. Anyhow, I contacted Jay West and said, I'm really interested in this project. It's beautiful and amazing. And would you mind if I sort of recreated it in sort of a fat feminist way here in the U.S. and gave you credit? And she said, no, that would be extraordinary. I love that idea. And I did it. And it was terrifying mm-hmm. and amazing and beautiful. And the humanity surrounding that moment was extraordinary. And luckily, I had asked a friend to film a few seconds of it and take some pictures. And I wrote a blog post and we made a little video on iMovie one night and dropped it all out into the world. And I thought the rest of Boise might be interested to see this. Boise, Idaho is where I live and where the experiment took place. Right. And little did I know that way more than a few people in Boise would be interested to see that. And it spread like wildfire. I was all over the local news within 24 hours I think within 48 hours, USA Today had called, and then the international press hit within 72. It now stands as one of the most viral videos of all time with over 200 million views. 200 million. Wow, that's incredible. I know. So incredible. I I feel like everyone who's listening has probably seen it. And so you are the woman in that video for everybody who's trying to piece together the voice, (laughs) the image of of the uh, individual with the voice that I'm speaking to here. But I want to talk to you about that experience a little bit more because you mentioned you were terrified. What what were you terrified of? I had had, um, I had done some other public performance pieces here that were not well received over the uh, four years prior to this. People locally and people both nationally and internationally were not ready for fat acceptance and radical body love, I learned. So I had had some hateful comments both online and in real life and some trolls. And it was traumatic, to be honest. Those, those sort of experiences were little did I know they were preparing me for the greatest amount of trolls and hate that would ever be flung at me, but also opened me up to some extraordinary love. And I think that's what happens when people are vulnerable. And that was, in fact, one of the most vulnerable moments of my life. I was worried, one, that the police would ask me to leave. Idaho is a pretty conservative place. And while a bikini is, you know, not naked, it's not something that's seen you know, in a, in a public space, like a, like a farmer's market. Right. Typically I thought that people might complain, you know, and call the police. I thought people might say mean things to me, but really I was most terrified that no one would participate in my experiment, that I would be standing there alone for, you know, minutes that felt like hours because I was blindfolded and that no one would share in my message of self-love. And how long did you stand there for before you were filled up? Immediately, within like five seconds of stripping off my dress and putting a blindfold on myself, propping up the sign, the first woman came and grabbed my hand and she was shaking and crying. And I burst into tears. I I knew I would cry already. And she said, thank you. This is so brave. This is so powerful. Thank you. And that continued for the next 50 minutes, nearly an hour that I stood there. I only stopped because people began telling me my, my markers had run out of ink. And there was no more available skin. To yes, yes. It's amazing. You know, what's so fascinating to me is that it's evident by doing that experiment that your message and the feelings that you shared were so resonant with other people. But so many others are afraid to speak about it and and open up and and be vulnerable. Why do you think that is? I think people are afraid 
of ridicule. I think that sometimes they don't even want to say the words, you know, in their head, let alone out loud. You know, people don't like to admit what they may perceive or they feel others perceive as failures or imperfections or, you know, things that they feel about themselves or about others. And they definitely, I don't think people are very open about struggles with their bodies. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be so spectacular about that experiment is that I was blindfolded and I had no sense of age or gender or nationality or religion or size or ability until I saw those photos. Boise is a highly white place. <laughs> um, but the diversity in the that moment was extraordinary. And they were all sort of, you know, the people in those images were attracted to me for, for whatever reasons. And I not only did they, you know, come and draw a heart per the sign, but they spoke to me and they wrote words. They went rogue. The sign did not instruct them to write words, but they did. Mm -hmm. And then they told me with their words how I made them feel, how they were feeling. And I could hear around me conversations that were being struck up between strangers who happened upon me and my body at one moment and started, you know, sharing in completely personal stories, sort of, you know, a few feet away from me with each other and relating to each other in extraordinary ways. And by all accounts, the humanity in that moment and the vulnerability that I was showing brought out vulnerability in other people. And I think that's what's so powerful about it and why it has had such a, a huge impact is, you know, we walk around pretending that we're okay and we're not because as women, you know, we, we need to have it all together. But then the diet industry is like a $60 billion industry or whatever the number is. So clearly, we don't have it all together. And clearly, we're not happy with our bodies. And so yeah, I just I, I it was really interesting for me to see how willing people were to be open and vulnerable after you were open and vulnerable. I thought that that was really powerful. Yes. And that continues in my inbox and on, you know, Instagram and Facebook Messenger and on the street corners that people are still so vulnerable with me over that moment, wherever I meet them or however they come to me, they tell me the most extraordinary stories of pain and suffering and, and joy and sadness. People all over the world, again, and all genders, definitely a huge amount of men and young people, older people, and people of all abilities. And they can relate to this moment. Well, you know, you watch that video and it's clearly about all bodies being valuable and body image. And I'm obviously a fat, you know, 40 year old mother standing there. I've heard these amazing stories of how that vulnerability, you know, has opened up all sorts of ideas about self-esteem from that aren't just physical, basically. Lots of struggles that people have had with making choices that they feel are right in their lives you know, in their careers and their minds and, and with their, you know, education and otherwise. And that's, I mean, that's the powerful side of the internet is that you can reach people from all over the world with your message. But then the downside, obviously, is the online abuse that you receive 
And I know you wrote a post about that, talking openly about the impact of of the online abuse on your well-being. But in particular, you you said misogyny has taught us that other women are our enemies and not to be trusted. Sometimes women harm other women unintentionally, and sometimes it's born of jealousy, fear, frustration, and wanting to be the most, the best, the smartest, the biggest, end quote. So those are all your words. I would I would love to have you elaborate on this because I want to get to the role of misogyny in this dynamic and helping people to understand that. So I'd love you to elaborate on that if you don't mind. Yes. So misogyny, of course, you know, sort of the the hatred of women or the keeping down and, and dislike of women is basically, you know, the definition of it, which is different, but related to patriarchy sometimes. But I know that sometimes people misconstrue those words or think that they mean the same thing and when they don't in fact but misogyny is a huge problem in body image and a huge problem in our culture in particular and i think that people often i maybe because they confuse it with patriarchy or or they you know combine those two together they often think that it's men you know it must be the male culture that's such that are the instigators of, of or of misogyny and the biggest perpetrators of it when in fact we've all been raised and grown up men and women and people of all genders in this culture with this misogyny and we've internalized it so much that I have found myself included that women are often the biggest perpetrators today and continue to be of misogyny and I think we don't think about that we think that maybe we are immune to that somehow that it's something that happens to us rather than something that we are active in and that it's just something that's been forced upon us by our culture, but we don't often think about how we participate in that ourselves. And I have certainly done it myself, you know, and, and seen it throughout time. And I think that that it happens a lot today, a lot of my hatred online and online trolls and, and negative comments come from women in particular about that stand for self-love or or other work I do regarding body image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, to me, that seems so, I mean, I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked. You know what I mean? Like I, you you expect it, you expect troll males to be trolls, particularly when, you know, your body is, is on display in that, in that way. I, I mean, did that shock you to see that it was mainly, that it was a lot of women who were, who were giving you that kind of criticism? Yes, I, 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 a little bit. I mean, that had been the case. That's been the case for me since I started actively speaking out as a body image activist. There were more women who had a lot of negative things to say than men. Just in my case, and this is just you know my experience. I certainly know that other people have had similar experiences as well. It's not like a scientific study, though. You know that I've done or anything like that. But in my case, and in other cases that I know of. I was shocked by that. I have been shocked in general. This whole newfound international fame has brought up a whole bunch of interesting social ideas and and the way that people use the internet. I've become my own sort of most fascinating case study in that way, in a lot of ways. Yeah, what else have you noticed? Well, you know, I and I've written on my blog about this too. I certainly have gotten interesting messages and hate from men, including lots of dick pics that okay. I had never received before and sort of sexual, mm. a lot of messages in, you know, in the sexual nature. 
right. of the sexual nature. And sometimes from women too. More more men do that. So that's that's been interesting. But I have also, you know, it's always easy, I think, when you're a public figure in a highly public situation to dwell more on the hateful things and the awful things that you hear from people. I learned very early on to not read the comments on anything. So that's yes. sort of my standard rule. I missed out on some really good ones, unfortunately, by by following that guideline. But I also miss out on the hateful ones, which is more important. But the beautiful messages I get have far outweighed the negative. Yeah, it's 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 an unfortunate side effect of of this type of work and being a public figure and it's it, it's it's extremely unfortunate that it comes in the way of harassment and abuse and you know i think that coming back to this idea of misogyny amongst women i'm curious to know because i think a lot of this that kind of behavior almost becomes normalized, like especially when you just talk about it in the way of jealousy or frustration or like you said, like wanting to be the best or the most popular. What are some of the ways that it shows up that you've seen that 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 we maybe take for granted or that are more subtle or normalized that we could start to pay attention to and fight against whether that's challenging stuff within ourselves or just watching out for other stuff in in our social circles or environments. Yeah, I think as women, we have, you know, grown up to have to constantly prove ourselves, especially in a misogynistic and patriarchal culture, right? That we feel like we have to be the smartest or the prettiest or the thinnest, or the best at whatever it is. And that often means at the expense of any other women, woman around us, that we, you know, are often as young girls trying to win the affection of a boy, or a best friend, or, you know, in a, in a group of girl friends. And so we haven't learned or been trained, I think, or, you know, um, been brought up in a culture that sort of celebrates diversity in general, but definitely diversity in women and that it's okay for your friend or your coworker or your sister or, you know, whatever it is to be good at something and advance at something or get a raise or get a job or graduate with a degree and that we can celebrate her success and it does not negate our successes or what we're good at. The same thing goes for bodies in particular, you know, body image. If somebody's naturally thin and, and can, you know, eats whatever they want and I have a different body than that doesn't make their body better than mine or anything. It just makes it different. And that we all, you know, all bodies are good bodies. They can all be celebrated in these ways. And I think that those are ways in particular to really notice these are ways more body positive and to become more feminist and to become more female positive, I guess. For me, is that, again, just realizing when I'm jealous of somebody else's success, either something that they've worked hard to do or something that they have no control over, again, like their body size or their looks or their hair color or things like that. I think that really checking that within ourselves tells us a lot about our own problems and anxieties and, and what we need to work on within ourselves. And I, I, it comes back to, I think, really like, I find that in myself too. If I judge myself harshly about something, then I often notice that I will do that of other people too. Right, right. And I think it's really helpful to use the framework of misogyny to understand some of that stuff within ourselves because it's it's helpful to think, okay, no, we've been 
we've been conditioned to to feel this way. Like it's not it's not always about ourselves. It's it's you know a lot of that is just this cultural beliefs that we've adopted as a result of the society that we've that we've grown up in. Right, and we've been taught to purchase that too. I think consumerism has a huge plays a huge part in all of this, in particular in a lot of things with women and feminism and misogyny and body image, that we should be buying something or spending money on something, you know, again, to be bigger and better and, and, and smarter and more beautiful. Mm, yes. It always goes back to the money, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, you know, I've been giving a lot of thought to just this idea of being the best recently and how, you know, I'm starting to see this amongst amongst clients is is that, you know, valuing being the best or being like the most popular and how that sets up for continual feelings of inadequacy because you can't be there's no such thing as the best. There's no measure of that. It's not within our control. And I think that um, it just kind of ties into that from a psychological perspective as well, in that a lot of that is just born out of this feeling of not being good enough. Right. And there's no perhaps greater place to see that in action to me, or maybe it's because I'm just in the middle of it than motherhood and this idea of being the perfect mother Mm. and what a good mom is versus a bad mom and good moms, you know, or the best moms breastfeed and either stay home or they work from home or they don't work or they do work and you know (laughs) or they bottle feed or they don't bottle feed and they you know have all natural births or they have medicated births or cesareans and you know there's a lot of of jealousy and trying to be the best in motherhood there's a lot of guilt that comes along with motherhood in general that we place upon ourselves I think And a lot of that has to do with being the best or wanting to be the best. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of moms who listen to this show. So I'm curious to know what your advice is to them in terms of how to how to navigate that or how to yeah, I mean, I guess how to navigate it is kind of a broad question. So I'll just let you take it from there. And then we can dissect it further. Oh, motherhood. I have no good answers. I most of the time, like, feel like a bad mother, like I'm sure all mothers do. I think we all relate to this most of the time feeling like we're failing. Part of that is um, inherent to raising young people. I think mm-hmm. that there's nothing you can do, you know, to get over that other than trying to let go of your of your perfections. But embrace your imperfections, I guess, if you want to call them that. I hate to use that word because I don't really think there's, you know, such a thing as that. Mm-hmm. But it's such a, there's nothing more grounding and sort of, to me at least, than, than motherhood and having children. Nothing throws your idea of perfection out the window more than raising a young thing, um, a young person. And everything you thought you knew, everything you thought you had planned, everything in the world some, suddenly is turned upside down and nothing goes the way you you expected it to or you thought it would or people told you it would or that you read in books or saw in movies. And it, then it also, as soon as you think you've nailed it, you have another kid or that one grows up and turns all these different things keep happening. At least in my experience, no child is the same. And once I think I figured out one phase, they move to something else or something completely new happens and throws you for a loop. Do you feel like there's like some added pressure with yourself being, you know, such a feminist and and body positive activist to have your children almost like protect them from the beliefs that 
had harmed you when you were younger or that you see harming other young girls? Like, do you feel like you put a lot of pressure on yourself in that area? Yes. And, you know, part of me is trying to give that up. They're fairly young. I have a two-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 12-year-old. So they're still sort of in that innocent age of, they haven't had, you know, a lot of struggles with their bodies. Their bodies have changed a lot, but nothing that they have probably internalized that much yet. You know, my 12-year-old started to go through puberty and I can see the change in her, both physically and emotionally and mentally already, and how that's really the time. For me as a young woman, for most young women, puberty is the time when your body image issues, uh, if you, or your thoughts about your body really start to come into focus and, and be solidified, good or bad. Mm-hmm. So I do feel strongly about that. We do talk a lot in our house about all bodies being good bodies. We read a lot of body positive books and we try to talk about diversity in general in, in films and in life and with our friends and our family. But I do, what's interesting to me is though that they're growing up in such a different world than I did. So many things that I think I need to tell them about, you know, they take for granted now. Things that, you know, when I grew up, I, we couldn't even fathom like gay marriage being legal, mm-hmm. you know, and my kids now would just look at me like, what do you mean? You know, like, like this is shocking or this is surprising that gay people didn't used to be able to like, oh, you know, feel comfortable openly loving each other and celebrating that love. Like they, they just look at me like this is, you know, yes, they, they just don't even understand that. So it is important to me to give them a sense of history as well, but also the skills and the tools to move forward and handle whatever body image issues might come their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to talk to you a little bit about aging and ageism. Because this I mean, this is how kind of how our conversation started in in my Facebook group and me just saying there was a need for greater representation in body positivity amongst aging women. As I had heard this feedback time and time again from some of the some of my clients, I'd love to get your thoughts on where just some examples of ageism, just in your experience or just from your knowledge and background, just so that people are more aware of, of its, its existence. Well, I was so glad to hear you talking about it because I think that I've thought about it a lot. And I do feel like I'm one of the older sort of body image activists, fat activists out there. There are a lot of young, young ones, in particular young women, you know, with no kids, often single, doing extraordinary work with radical voices. That's really important. But then there are also, you know, this group of, you know, 40 and up moms who maybe don't relate so much to, you know, younger people and their issues or their struggles or dating and, and have so many other, you know, like we're working and we're going through, we're like in perimenopause or menopause and we're raising children in this world that we're trying to, you know, create small feminists in a, in a culture that's kind of a mess right now, you know, and, and we're struggling with our own body image issues that we've grown up in a completely different world than these, than 20 something people. And now our bodies are changing yet again, you know, after pregnancy and childbirth, and then we go to perimenopause and menopause. It's just something that is never ending. And then gray hair and sexuality and all sorts of things that I think people are thinking about, but there aren't a lot of us sort of representing that out there visibly, you know, sort of 
in the public eye. And I do actually think that that's been a big draw. I do think for me, I think that a lot of people are attracted to my work because of that. Mm -hmm. I am because of that sort of aspect of, you know, like here I am, you know, in particular when I'm standing there in that bikini and and for a lot of people that was their first experience with me and my work. It's this wonky black bikini. I have the bikini top is like totally not even, I have like sagging breasts of a four year old mom that's nursed three babies, stretch marks from, you know, four pregnancies, gray hair, which I have learned to, I have embraced early on. I got my first white streak in my hair when I was 18 and covered it up for years with dye because I was embarrassed of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sort of embraced it and rocked it when I turned, probably not until I was in my early 30s, for that very reason, that I think that, you know, ageism is a big problem in particular for women. And women are often sort of erased from the cultural landscape when they become mothers and and get over 40 and nobody thinks about them as, you know, sexual beings or active participants in, in culture or the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard from some people saying it's this feeling of becoming invisible or irrelevant. And I think that a lot of that is because in the media, women over a particular age literally do become invisible in that they're not on the shows anymore. <laughs> And uh, I think that it's it's really important to to open that conversation up because I think that this idea that we need to fight aging is still really normalized. You know, people get really excited when they get ID'd or somebody thinks that they're younger, and you know that's that's essentially just internalized ageism. Yes, exactly. I, I see that all the time. And the same with, or they get hit on by, you know, a younger man or, you know, dying, dying their hair because they don't want to look old. And, and I do, but I, you know, and I completely respect all, all types of, of body autonomy with, you know, dying your hair if you want to. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm a huge proponent of, you know, everyone has to be natural, you know, go natural and, and all gray or, or anything like that. Yeah, of course. And yes, unless you want to. But I do think that there is something for me that's powerful in embracing that, embracing that silver hair, embracing my age. Another thing I noticed that women do a lot is they don't like to say their age. Yes. You know, like 40 something or, you know, or the lie about their age on purpose and their, you know, their body image struggles or their bodies are often something that they're more ashamed of sometimes it seems. And, and they want to cover it up because their bodies are changing so so much, you know, after the age of 40. But to me, as a body image activist, and I, you know, I'm only 41, so I can't speak to what will happen in the future, but my body has changed constantly throughout my whole life. And I think that that's something that continues to happen to all of us until we die. And that is uh, the point of living and the point of our bodies. That is what, is, in fact, they're supposed to do is change and age. And I think that that is the most beautiful and important part of body image work to me is sort of embracing and accepting that that's what your body does, you know, that it changes. And it's not always easy or great. Sometimes the changes include illnesses and cancer and uh, surgeries and, you know, broken bones or 
diseases or disorders, all sorts of things that you didn't used to have that come with it. And it's not always fun or something that you're going to love. But I think that having the basic tools to sort of, you know, live, live in that moment, deal with it, think about it and let it just be and accept it, I think is so powerful and will do nothing but bring, you know, greater joy to our lives. Because, you know, in fact, our bodies are our vessels that get us through our days to do the most important things. And so the more we work with them and celebrate them and take care of them in whatever way works for us, the better our lives will be. That's such a good way of putting it. And I think there's, I think with aging, there seems to be, at least my observation is that there's more shame around having body insecurities or, you know, self insecurities when you're older, because it's seen as like a young person thing, like a young girl thing or a young woman thing. And I think that it's, it's harder for people to open up and be vulnerable about it when because of that. I don't know if you've noticed that as well or what your thoughts are on that. Yes, absolutely. I have noticed that. And I do think, again, a lot of that is internalized misogyny. And a lot of that is, you know, still seeing women and in particular, sometimes younger women as competition mm. or as something they used to be, you know, and something that they're not. But I've also heard sort of the opposite. I've also heard from extraordinary women that I look up to that, you know, the older you get or the older that we get, the more comfortable they feel in more confident that they feel in expressing their views and in speaking out and sort of wearing what they want and being who they want. And I've certainly found that to be true. I certainly do feel like it was almost as if something clicked in me when I was turning 40 that caused me to stand in the marketplace. That was sort of also a natural evolution of my, my work as an activist, but I've gotten so much sort of braver and louder over the past year. And again, I don't know if that has so much to do with age, but I like to think that somehow it does, you know, a little bit of wisdom comes from that too. But I certainly have heard from a lot of older women that they still struggle with body image issues and they don't seem to speak up about it a lot, like you said. And I don't know if that comes from shame about aging or shame about things like menopause that cause so much havoc in a lot of women's lives on their bodies and their emotions and their, their feelings and on their sexuality and, you know, on their mental health as well. And it's something that I'm just learning a lot about and, and learning from people who have come before me, having been diagnosed as, you know, semi-perimenopausal at 39 um, which is sort of young, mm -hmm. but it's also one of those things that goes on for years and years. Right. Yeah, it's something that is, I, you know, because we like, we demonize menopause. And I personally have probably have a lot to learn on that matter. But I feel like it's kind of in the same way we we demonize even just periods and menstruation and anything like that. But I feel, you know, it's one of those things to, to, to start to look at through the lens of embracing and looking at it as, I don't know, just in a, in a positive way. And perhaps you have some, some thoughts or perceptions on how to view it in a more positive way. Well, I do think, you know, any significant, I don't know, medical or, or, you know, physiological changes in our body are so, can be so traumatic. Like I think 
as women though, our bodies go through so many changes. You know, puberty is a good example. And then it happens again if women get pregnant or, or, you know, trying to get pregnant through child, you know, growing a baby and delivering a baby. That's another very significant physical change and emotional and hormonal and mental change in our, our bodies. And then it happens again during menopause. And then both of the, you know, those things sort of bookended by birth and death, which are the most significant physical changes in, in all of our lives. Yes. But I think that you know, especially menopause, it doesn't sound, I'm not in it, you know, and I'm very, barely perimenopausal. It does sound sort of terrible and scary and, and stressful in a lot of ways for a lot of women. There's some really great groups. One is the Menopause Chicks and Shirley Weir, who's doing great work on sort of destigmatizing um, menopause and, and aging in this way and talking about, about that a lot. And I appreciate and I'm learning so much from her about, about that. And I think just opening up about it, which is so true about everything for me and for all of us, I think opening up and saying the hard things and the scary things and the embarrassing things, whether it's in a private Facebook group or on a street in a bikini or in a, in a private message or an email or, you know, in a meetup in real life, a friend talking about those things is so empowering and can bring so much healing and just, it's often what people need to, you know, hear somebody else say, wow, you know, uh, I've never needed lubricant before having sex with my husband and suddenly my vagina is really dry. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's having this, you know, since I had this last baby and I'm 39, is this supposed to be happening? You know, or, or do you have any good suggestions for lube or, or, you know, whatever it is. And then people are, just feeling that camaraderie of other people being like, Oh my God, that happened to me too. Or that happened to me too. And I tried this and I find that that's been such a blessing and such a powerful thing in my work. And I appreciate that so much and and other people as well. Yeah. God, it's such a relief to just be open about all of these things that are normally characterized as inadequacies, you know, like whether it's like bladder control or, (laughs) you know, like you said, lubrication or any any of or libido or any of those things I I think I I feel like it's one of those things that when we can just kind of own it we realize so many other people are experiencing the same things and people just are not talking about it and when we can talk about it it makes it so much easier to deal with yes and it really you know releases that stigma and shame and just becomes you know what it is, you know, it's really about acceptance and and all of these things, I think, with our bodies and in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like a whole other angle on on body acceptance is is when it starts when you're really starting to accept some of the more physiological changes, as well as as opposed to just the exterior of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, when you, you mentioned the menopause chicks, which I'll link to, but you mentioned somebody else's name that I didn't quite catch. Do you mind just repeating that? Oh, Shirley Weir, and she runs the Menopause Chicks. Oh, she runs it. Yes. Uh So I'm going to link to that in the show notes for this episode, which will be at summerinandin.com forward slash 84. That's 84. As we wrap things up here, I would love for you to just tell everyone where they can find more of you. I am on Instagram under my name. It's also Idaho Amy. Same on Twitter, Idaho Amy. On Facebook, it's Amy Pence Brown. 
body image activist, writer, and artist. I also run the Boise Rad Fat Collective, a Facebook group of about 1,600 folks. We meet up in real life, but you don't have to live in Idaho, nor do you have to be fat to join in on the conversation. You just have to be rad, as in radical, and and feminist and and body positive. You can also find me and more about my writing and my artwork and performances and public speaking at amypencebrown.com. Amazing. I'm going to link to all of that in the show notes. Amy, it's been such a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally got to connect and I was able to talk to you about all of these things. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Rock on. Such good discussion with Amy there. I know I talked to her a little bit afterwards and we started to go off on some other tangents that I wish we had recorded, but I will save that for a future episode. I'm going to have her back on. Specifically, we were talking about how death can teach us to be more positive about age and, and our how our fear of death contributes to ageism and all these other really cool things that I kind of wish I was recording. But like I said, we'll save it for next time and maybe she will hop into the Facebook group and talk about it with us a little bit more over there. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Don't forget to go and leave a review for the show and I will see you next time. Rock on. Rock on.